It's just, just good to be in this, this building with uh, this crowd today. I love this, the youth up here, you guys, just for the record. I think it's pretty cool. You're an encouragement. Uh, you guys encouraged me by your being there, and I think you're probably encouraging a bunch of other folks in here as well, just uh, sitting where you're sitting. And not only that, but, you know, just uh, you in general, we appreciate you guys. And um, so thanks for, thanks for being up front today. I'm excited about that. I wanted to mention to you just a couple of things as well before we get into our lesson time. We've got a couple of special guests. Ellie and Nama Martin are here with us. Uh, you may have met Ellie and Nama before. They are some of our friends from Arusha, Tanzania. and they're, states, they're in the States for a few weeks, and we're excited that they're with us today at Hoover, and I hope you'll get to meet them. They're sitting right back there. I won't make you guys stand up, but uh, Ellie and Nama Martin, some dear, dear folks from Tanzania. We appreciate you guys and what you mean to the work there in, in Tanzania. Looking forward to the cookout this afternoon, the cookout and worship and just a fun time at Veterans Park. I hope you're planning. I think we've got a lot of folks who are signed up, so I'm excited about that. That's going to be, uh, that's going to be neat. You know, this topic is difficult in some respects. Uh, so some topics are more, are more difficult than others simply because everybody already agrees with it. Um, it's not like I got to try to persuade you of something today, really, not, not on the surface at least. Uh, if you've been in the church, in Christianity for long, or even just looking at Christianity from a distance perhaps, you already know this. You know that you and I, we ought to love one another. But as I was saying in the introduction a few minutes ago, it is overwhelming to me every time I study this topic to recognize how often God talks about it. The hard thing, thinking about this topic, the hard thing was choosing which text to use to talk about it with you guys, because it's all over the place. I almost settled on one in 1 Peter chapter 2. It would have been a good text. I almost went to 1 John 4, very next chapter. It would have been a good text. I could have gone to 1 John 5 and talked about it. That would have been a good text. Uh, John 13 in those, you call the high priestly prayer of Jesus that he prayed uh, on his way from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane, John, uh, four, John, latter part of 13 and 14 and 15 and 16 and 17, you could go to a lot of places in those chapters where Jesus said, I, I give you a new command, that you love one another even as I've loved you. And he says, by this will all people know that you're my disciples if you have loved one for another. So they're, they're all over the place. But this one we're going to study this morning, 1 John 3, is, is just... It, it, it has some things I think we need to hear. And maybe you come here today as someone who doesn't need to be convinced that you need to love one another. But maybe you and I come here as people who need to be reminded of the fact that this is absolutely essential to being Christians. That, that you cannot follow Jesus if you don't love his people. You cannot follow Jesus if you don't love his people. And, and that emphasis needs to be heard loudly and clearly because this is this is a huge deal and you probably I don't I don't say this I don't say this I don't say this just to butter this crowd up I think I think Hoover has a great spirit of love I really do and so this lesson isn't presented because I see some specific deficiency in our people here but nonetheless this as in every area we all can experience growth. And perhaps this is something that we need to, 
we need to talk about periodically just to remind ourselves of, of how precious it is and how important it is. And there's probably a lot of folk, there are probably many of us in here who have been in churches, been in other places perhaps, where they have been divided by a spirit of, uh, well, a disunity, a spirit of antagonism. Uh, sometimes churches forget what it means to be followers of Jesus. They forget that that means to love the people here most of all. Yeah, we love the world. We love the lost. We love people who aren't like us. We love people out there who are living rebellious lives. We've got to love those people. But sometimes we can do that and we can forget that God, first of all, calls us to love all of us who call on the same Lord and Jesus as Savior. This matters. I'm going to come back to that. But I want to start with that and I'll probably finish with that. Let's look at our text. 1 John 3. 11 through 24, three basic movements uh, that, that John gives us, three kind of phases as he explores this lesson. In the first little section here, he talks about Cain, which is an interesting thing. I don't know if I'm going to brotherly love, if I'm necessarily going to go to Cain, first of all, even as a negative illustration. But um, this is interesting. 1 John 3, 11, starting at verse 11, going through verse 15, that first paragraph in your Bible in this section, he, he says, don't be like Cain. Don't hate like Cain. Don't be like this guy. And you remember the story. This is in Genesis 4. This is after creation, all is good. First two chapters. Chapter 3, things get bad. The fall of humanity. They're cast out of the garden. Then you come to chapter 4. What happens when, what happens when you... Choose your own path. What happens when you eat the forbidden fruit and you say, I want to be my own God. I want to do things my way. I want to de determine my own right. I want to determine my own wrong. I want to be my own truth. What happens? Well, chapter 4 happens. And you go to Genesis 4, and what you find there is that Cain and Abel uh, were at odds. Cain was jealous of his brother Abel, and he murdered him. And, and John here uses that text to illustrate what we don't want to be, which I think is fascinating. And it's also interesting, you may, you may be interested to know this, that among Christians in the first couple of centuries, you know, 100 years, 200 years after Christ, the story of Cain was a very important story to them. They quoted it all the time. There was one guy who lived in the first few hundred years after Christ. He wrote four books on Cain. This is an early Christian. Four books on Cain. I thought that was kind of interesting. And, and so... They loved the story of Cain. They thought it had a whole lot to teach us. And John sees something in it. Look at our text. 1 John 3, 11. This is a message you've heard from the beginning. From the beginning. He's going back to creation. From the beginning that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. And so he says here at the very beginning to the church that... You know, the, the church he was writing to, you guys need to learn something from the story of Cain, and that is you don't need to hate your spiritual siblings. It reminds you, perhaps, of Matthew 5. You remember when Jesus is in the Sermon on the Mount and he says something similar to this. I want to I turn over there and just remind you of what he says here because Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount, he's talking about Old Testament principles. He's talking about how we need to honor them. And, and, he, and he says this, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Remember that text? But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. 
Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. If you're offering your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, you go and you take care of that thing, and then you go and you, you make your offering. You know, it's interesting here, because I've, I've struggled this week. I was thinking, how am I going to apply? I don't, think, I don't think a church has anybody in here who's wanting to murder somebody else. In them. I hope not. None of you guys are plotting anybody's murder in this place, right? I mean, how do you apply 1 John 3? Because nobody's thinking, I, I, you know, Cain's a pretty good guy. I want to be more like Cain. Most people don't think that. So you think about, what's John's point here? Why is, he, why is he dealing with this? And I think what he's doing is he's helping us understand what Jesus said earlier. And that is, yeah, none of us are going to be murderers. Somebody in here is thinking that. He's going to be guilty of that. But Jesus said, that's not what it's about. He says, you need to understand that it's not about the ultimate act. It's the heart attitude that precedes that outward action, that drastic action. He says, that's what you need to focus on. And that's what John is saying here. He's saying, don't be like Cain. But really his point is, it's not don't commit the murder. Yeah, obviously he doesn't want us to commit murder. That's not his point. His point is, don't have the attitude that leads to the murder. And so within the context of the church, we may never be tempted to kill one another, but we may be tempted to backbite. We may be tempted to gossip about one another. We, we, we may sometimes have bad attitudes toward one another. We, we may sometimes think bad thoughts and say bad things about other people in this building and in our fellowship here at Hoover. We may make smart remarks about people behind their backs. We may tear people down. You know what John is teaching us, what, what Jesus is teaching us when they're talking about murder? They're talking about murder in Matthew 5 and John's talking about murder here in, in 1 John 3. You know what they're talking about? They're talking about those, those little compromises that you and I are tempted to make when it comes to other people in the assembly. Not necessarily a corporate assembly, but in the called out people here. So, I'm, I'm, I've got application I want to come back to, but I want to go ahead and say this here at Fitz. Uh, what John is saying to you, to me, to this church is be careful with your attitudes toward other people in the church. Because that is it's, it's absolutely essential. Don't get hung up on the Cain murder thing. That's not his point. No, I, I, best I can tell, the church to which John was writing, they weren't having murder problems, but they were having backbiting problems. And John says, these two, though you may think one is so much worse than the other, these two things are related. And if you focus on the lesser, in your mind, the lesser of these things, then it will not get out of hand and cause other problems. I mean, you've, again, in, in the history of churches, you see this happening too often. You have a church that has maybe two or three groups within it, and these two or three groups begin to be rivals and begin to be you know, resentful of one another and thinking, well, it's okay, and church is big enough. We can have... Can they have these different cliques, these different groups or whatever? They can be, you know, we don't necessarily have to like everybody. and we, we make these little compromises. And then what happens is ultimately those kinds of rivalries will boil up. You've seen it happen in churches before. They will boil up and they'll cause a rift in the body of Christ. And the name of Christ is dragged through the mud in that community. John is saying, don't let it start. Don't let it start with a little compromise in the body. Don't let it, don't let it start. Don't ever even go there. Don't hate like Cain. Everyone who hates his brother 
is a murderer. Wow. Saying, you know, those little things, those little things, you say, man, I can't stand Brother X. If you ever find yourself thinking anything like that, get on your knees in a hurry and you pour out your heart to the Lord and ask Him to change your heart because you're on, we, any of us, we're on dangerous, dangerous ground. If we start having those kinds of spirits in us, God help us never to get there. And I don't think we're there, but God help us never to have that, even in any kind of incipient way in the body of Christ. All right, so negative, negative thing. That was negative. Here, here's the positive part. 16, 17, 18. By this we know love. I appreciate Steve's zeroing in on these verses in uh, meditation a minute ago. By this we know love that he had that he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, he yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Man, there's so much meaning in that, in those three verses in there. By this we know love. This is how we know it. This is, this is what it looks like. You ever wonder what it looks like? Go back to the cross. Remember I said, I think the last two or three weeks, maybe more than that, and I'll probably say it again and again and again because it's true, how often the Bible comes back when it tells us to do something, <coughs> some sort of imperative, some sort of moral imperative. This is what you do. This is what you don't do. Whenever the Bible does that, more often than not, what it's going to say is, you know why you ought not do that? You know how you ought to do this? Calvary, that's why. That's what it looks like. That's what the good thing looks like. Be like that. I mean, so often the Bible just says, it doesn't just say, hey, here's a list of 10 things you don't do. No, it says you should do these things because of the cross. You go to the cross, and then how, in view of the cross, in view of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, how can you live like that? You can't. So it almost always, it just ties it back. It's, it's, a, it's called a cruciform way of life. It's a, a cross-shaped perspective. It's, it's looking at everything through the cross. Your, your work, your, you know, your recreation, your, your family, your, your marriage, your kids, your, your church life, your attitude, your whatever it is. You look at those things through that lens. And so that's what John does here. He says, okay, I'll talk to you about love. Here's where we got to go. Let's go to the cross. Over and over again. That's what the Bible does. That's what, this is what the writers do. So go to the cross. This is, what we, this is how we know what it looks like. This is what it looks like. As opposed to Cain, who was resentful of his brother, and he murdered him. As opposed to that, Jesus allowed himself to be murdered. Cain murdered because he didn't love his brother. Jesus was murdered because he wanted to show us brotherly love. See the contrast there. Love like Jesus. He laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. That is a principle that everybody in the world agrees with. I mean, just generally speaking, generally speaking, uh, the world loves this. You know, just a, a few days ago, Memorial Day, our country, it's interesting, you know, our country really exalted that principle, didn't it? I mean, that's what we do on Memorial Day. We think of those and we honor those who were willing to give their lives so that other people could live, so that other people could live free lives. I mean, that whole principle, that's a part of the fabric of this country. So everybody out there agrees with this principle. And certainly we understand it in the context of the church. We understand, okay, taking that thing, what Jesus did, we ought to live that out with one another, lay down our lives for one another. But here's the problem. This is a problem that we have consistently thinking about this. 
You, are, you probably are never going to be asked to give, to give your life for me or anybody else in this building. And I probably will never be put in a situation where I've got to lay down my life for you. So it's easy to say, I, I, yeah, I, I agree with that principle. And I want to be that kind of person. I want to be a person. That's the kind of person I want to be. I'm going to follow Jesus. And brother, sister, I would die for you, right? John says, here's what dying for somebody looks like. 17. This is, this is what dying for someone looks like. This is what it is. Your brother's falling on hard times. He needs a little financial support. He needs some food. He needs some help for some bills. What does laying down your life for a brother or sister look like? John says, yeah, you got this, this principle out here that everybody agrees with, but then the, the carrying out of the principle is something very practical. It, interesting, just a very practical thing. What he says is, here's what dying for your brother or sister looks like. It means helping them when they have needs. That's what it looks like. And people in this church do that again and again and again and again. That's what it looks like, though. This is what loving like Jesus is. It's doing something you can do for someone who has needs. That's what the cross is. Jesus laid down his life for us because you and I were incapable of laying down a sinless life. And so he gave his life so we could live. That's the principle. And the application of the principle is, in the context of the body of Christ, we ought to serve one another, love one another, forgive one another, do for one another. That's the text. And so he says, don't love in word or talk. Don't say, yeah, I would be willing to give my life for someone. I would be willing to lay down. I'd, I'd jump in front of a car for you. It's never going to happen. Probably. You willing to miss out on a meal so that your brother or sister can eat? Willing to cancel some subscription you've got so that your brother or sister can have some need met? Um, he said, don't just talk about it, do it. I mean, this is just really, really, really basic stuff here, isn't it? I mean, it's just very simple. Last part of the text, 19 through 24. A little bit more difficult here. 19 through 24, it's interesting. Here's, let me sum this up, what I think John is saying in this text. He's talking about assurance. Uh, my guess is there are people in this assembly, maybe quite a few of us, who have a hard time sometimes being convinced that we're really where we ought to be spiritually. We have a hard time believing that we're saved. We may think, you know what, I'm, I've got these flaws, I've got these struggles, and God doesn't, God doesn't want me in His family because of this or that, or I, I struggle to know that I'm saved. I struggle to know that if I died right now, I'd be with God eternally. That sort of, that sort of ongoing issue. And people have always had that issue. still do. Always will. But John here says, this is his application of this, all right? He says, here's how you know. This is powerful. Here's how you know that you are born again, that you are in fellowship with God. Here's how you know. Verse 23, we believe in Jesus and we love one another. We believe in Jesus and we love one another. That sort of sounds like that banner back there. I think... Because believing Jesus and loving Jesus are really pretty closely tied in with one another. And loving one another, loving people, that's the second part of it. It seems as if Jesus, or John rather, is coming again to this thing and saying, this is the most important stuff. Have your heart right toward God. Treat people the way they deserve to be treated. You're in Christ. Now, I don't want to be 
I don't want to reduce it to this. I don't want to oversimplify this because there's, there's a lot of other things that have to do with the gospel. But John is, is zeroing in on what it means to be in fellowship with God. And he says, believe in Christ. Let that inform your life. Let your faith in Jesus inform how you live. And love the church. Love the church. And then your heart can be assured that you're one of God's people. That's what 19 through 24 says. Before we run out of time, even more than we're run out of time already. Let me say two things here. Kind of talked about this um, throughout. But again, did, I hope you get the impression when you read these 14 verses that this isn't one of those things you can say, well, you know what, Christians disagree about some things. It's okay, we're in fellowship. We can agree on some things. We can disagree on other things. It doesn't matter so much because not everything, we can't agree on everything. This is not one of those things we can disagree about, okay? Through these 14 verses, what John says repeatedly is, if you miss out on loving one another, you miss out on the kingdom. He says this is essential. There are non-essentials. I admit that. There are a lot of non-essentials. There are some essentials, though, and this is one of them. And this is why you show me a church, you show me a church that prides itself in doctrinal precision. They've got a list of things that they are sound on. They get this right. They've got these tenets right. They practice doctrinal orthodoxy, and they got it all lined up straight. You show me that church that doesn't practice love toward one another, and I'll show you a church that has missed the point. Love matters. It is essential. This is a non-negotiable. And if we miss that, we have missed the essence of the gospel. Here's the we, we talked about this. So what, is this, what does this look like? This looks like meeting needs. This looks like not gossiping, not backbiting, not talking badly about people. This looks like going to the people who are hurting and ministering to them. This is rejoicing with those who rejoice. This is weeping with those who weep. This is forgiving one another. This is being long-suffering. This is being patient. This is being, you know, picking folks up spiritually and carrying them through tough times. This is this is just a family. This is what you do. You, you don't always agree on everything, but you're a family. You stick together. You stay together, and you pick one another up, and you keep on going. That is why it is essential. I think it's essential for the church to be a collection of diverse people, diverse ethnically, diverse culturally, diverse in, in the way we were raised, and, and, and even in some of the things that we, many of the things that we believe. We've, we've got different perspectives, but we're a family. And so we love one another. It looks like this. It's different. I'm thankful that this church isn't all the same. We don't all look the same. We have different backgrounds and different ways of doing things. But this is a family. And families love one another. And they stick together. And they stay together. And they, they, they tough it out. When, when times get hard, they, they stick together. That's what we do. That's what it looks like. It looks like a family. It looks like people who are all following the same Lord and calling the same Jesus their Savior and are trying their best to walk with Him from now until whenever this life is. That's what it looks like. It is loving one another. Love God 
and love his people. Specifically, what we're talking about today is loving those people in our spiritual family. If you're not a Christian today, I'm honestly, for the most part, I've been talking to the church today because we need to love one another. That's that's a very important thing. But I hope that that, that throughout, as, as we're talking about this today, maybe... God has used this message to touch your heart in some sort of way. Talking about the love that, that he laid down his life for us. That's what love looks like. That's what love looks like. And that's what will draw you to Jesus. If you're drawn to him, that'll be it. It'll be that. It'll be the fact that you see in that sacrifice of Jesus the, beautiful, the most beautiful expression of love you've ever seen. If you're drawn to that today, if you want to identify with the cross of Jesus, if you want to be raised up like Jesus was raised up on the last day, if you want to be saved by his blood. We invite you to come to him today to be baptized into him, rising up out of that water with all of your sins forgiven by his blood. You can do that today, identifying with him. And we would be thrilled to participate in that with you today. If you need to come to him for the first time, if you need to come back to him because your life has not reflected him lately, why don't you come? Let's stand and let's sing this song. I hope you'll come. I hear the Savior say,